This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Welcome back, Land Legs Podcast. Adam here. Matt is here. Matt is, uh, this is a take two for, for some of you guys. You're like, take two, what are you talking about? Um, we had some technical difficulties. That's why podcasts were later this week. Um, <clears throat> we recorded yesterday in a in an app that we'd never used. Wow, sounds like you're cracking one there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a ginger ale, I promise. <laughs> and uh, anyway... Um, we recorded the entire podcast. I got home late, got up early, started trying to put it together, and no such luck. So we are recording this one again. Thankfully, this is one of the benefits about never and not relying on guests to do our uh, our podcast because it'd been embarrassing to call them up and say we need to do it again because we've done that, that well. before. <laughs> I think we probably made every mistake in podcasting at some point along the road. We've done yeah. enough. We've we failed enough too. <laughs> no doubt. Um, and maybe so, it'll be better the second take. I thought it was pretty good the first. But it was pretty good. I, honestly, with all the video and and everything we've done over the years, I would say first take is usually the best for us. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> anything scripted is not good. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about some of the whitetail property stuff, and it was like scripted out, like trying to trying to to do it. And it was just like this is terrible. I hate this. The people listening beyond, hate this. Beyond just, amateur hour. Yeah, let's just <laughs> just let's let's run it off the cuff. So Yep. <clears throat> anyway. Here we go. Run it yeah. off the cuff again. Yeah. Um <clears throat> it is uh oh goodness, it's we're we're in the middle of May and um one thing we wanted to give a shout out was uh for Stratton Seed Company and uh we've had some emails lately about uh stratton seed and and kind of plans for putting that in the ground uh this this year and um you know that's what basically the topic this week's topic is about that uh, we're going to be talking about our food plot strategies um and how we're using these seed blends to not only just wildlife habitat but as well as um and I'm going to say it later on, but, you know, uh, insect for pollinators as well as uh, non-game species, some soil health benefits, and uh, all those wonderful things. Uh, we're doing it, and uh, you can check it out at GoStratC.com. I ought to just give Keith Hammer's number on here, uh, my goodness, because it's pretty much whenever sure people are ordering, that. I just say, call he, call Keith and get it figured get out. Get your lined out. Yeah. Um here's something for you a little bit of an update so this afternoon um my parents were going down to to the farm to check the cows they're gonna go check chad and i's cows and they went over there and mom sent me a picture and uh i give mom a hard time because a lot of times her photos she doesn't have an iphone she's got some other smartphone that's not that smart and uh 
usually her pictures are a tad out of focus, and I bug her about it. I'm like, yeah. And she sent me a picture, and it was like side hill treetop. Like, and I said, what am I looking at? And the next picture showed a zoomed-in version. Quail. And there's a quail sitting on a treetop, in a treetop. And it was Ooh. on the slope, Matt, that we talk about um, right there at the double oh. gates. No kidding. Right in there. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Just. Uh, Very cool. Just, I, I believe, uh, just to the north of those double gates across the little mm -hmm. dip right there when you can see into the and that's north. That's not lot. even the best, that's not even the best area on that whole slope. Complex. No. No, that's what's like just like from from whoa. quail friendly. Makes me kind of wonder because over the past couple of weeks, either Chad has heard birds or he has seen bird. Well, I don't think he's just heard them in two different places. But it's like, okay, is this some spring shifting around mating shifts for males? Was it a male or was it Bob? It was or, a Bob. Or, mm -hmm. Okay, it was Bob. like are they just shifting around this and... thing out? Like right? Like how many times? there's a lot of times where, where people don't even know that they have quail mm -hmm. because they're so good at hiding. But well, in me, the spring, that's things. usually the giveaway. Whenever you hear the whistle Correct. in the spring, you're like, Oh wow. And we haven't even heard that that much. Like a couple you of years a ago, call. Chad heard a covey call. Yeah. Right. And, right. and I don't know what the distance is. I've got on X open right here. I could tell everybody real quick the distance, but where Chad was hearing the quail was on the, western side of the farm and where yeah, I mean, mom it's, it's and dad like saw it's... them they've got to go through a lot of timber and a lot and a big old wide open bottom makes you just go hmm like that's what is i'm saying this is like the same or is this how many one? how many birds is um are, are moving around in here how many how many birds are different little coveys can can be created here yeah eight tenths of a mile from where mm -hmm. chad heard them and where mom saw it. And, and some, some pretty intense topography changes too. Yeah. Uh, not that a bird can't move across a hill on a slope, but um, it's not like, it's pretty steep. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's not like all really great usable. Like there's some north and east slope that hasn't been cut. Like it's just, it would just be timber, yeah. straight timber that would be going through. So um, interesting. That's awesome though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was very excited to mm -hmm. to get that picture and be like, oh my goodness, like, man, they maybe it'll be too? the whistling woodlands before we know it. Mm, never know. Never know. Never know. But it's already whistling with all the other birds, so I guess it already is whistling. But that's just, I mean, when you think about all the birds we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we've seen summer tanagers, scarlet tanagers, American red start was a new one for me. I had to even look that one up. Um, of course, all the common ones we saw bobolinks, uh, just right on the on the neighbor, not uh, like almost direct neighbor. And then we saw what else did we see? Dick Sissel, which is a uh, another grassland bird. Um, Chad saw a northern perula. We've seen a couple of vireos or vireos. Um, yeah, it's just like we've seen so many birds that are like pretty like. You know, we don't see them all the time. Oh, the summer tanagers, yeah, we see those. Since we started logging, we've seen those things like crazy. But the scarlet was a new one for us uh, in, in that unit. We saw one last year one time 
on the northern side of the family farm in a TSI unit. So that's pretty cool that they're over in there. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of birds, Bob Whites and and turkeys, uh, it seems to be seems to be moving in an upward direction. Which they, you know, there's people that say you can tell a lot about the health of your landscape by the health of your birds, because that tells health you the health of your speed. insects. So, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway. I was in I was in uh, rough grouse and golden wing warbler country today at the mm-hmm. higher elevations of Western Virginia. So we did not see any, but mm-hmm. um, they were they were close. And yeah, and, and just another, like you said, they're, they're those types of varieties of species. When you when you start to encounter them or you have that potential, you're creating it. Um, those are that that indicator that man we're we're creating something better here for sure we're headed in the right direction when those are are tend to be more common occurrences and uh everyone else is again singing the blues on situations like that so no doubt um they're they're great wins along the way and we said that we've done podcasts on that multiple times but you got to take into you got if you will stop What's that phrase? Stop and smell the roses. Stop mm-hmm. and listen to the songbirds. Because like take that take that breath in and be like, man, we're doing something different here. We're seeing this more frequent. We're seeing diversity increase. Mm-hmm. That's a win. That's a win, guys. No Don't doubt. just think about it. Antlers, although they're growing right now and they're fun to see. It ain't just an antler game. That's right. Yep. Let's, let's talk see. food plots. Yeah. Let's let's talk food plots. So I feel like I'm being repetitive, but then again, they never heard us, so we can They've be never as repetitive heard conversation. <laughs> as we want. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we're moving in. It's it's turkey season's wrapped up for us. Now we're moving into um, food plot season, and we're going to be um, testing some new things, doing some things that we've done forever. Matt and I are using different techniques um Mm -hmm. each other uh basically we're we're using a couple different techniques between the two of us we are uh um really just trying to to continue to try new things and and figure out what can work and gather the experience for a multitude of of landowners from landowners who have tractors and have no-till drills to landowners that have four-wheelers and the implements that go with those. Um, and that's really kind of what we're, what we're all about. Yeah. And, and I think that man, <clears throat> as big of an umbrella as food plots are and that they fall within, there's still so much that um, is outside of that box that should be in that box of food plots. And, and we find ourselves talking trying experimenting and using with success a lot of things that would be experimental or fall outside of that box and um i think that's the direction that food plots needs to go if if i were to be critical of the just general food plot um industry i think it's i think it's stale i think it's very repetitive but um every situation every farm has different um Things that forages that needs to supplement, time frames that things need to shine, growing conditions, limitations of rain, limitations of great uh, soil, whether it's level like a place that I was at today. Man, we hardly had flat ground. 
we we talked about food plots for for 20 minutes the rest was all timber management right yeah. so like everybody's in a different situation so we're talking um, and sharing what we're doing um I, I just want people to think like maybe i can step outside the bounds of what i've done in the past try some things try you know try adding some different species in or try a different planting technique or well you'll get into the conversation of, of what you guys are going to try um the interceding stuff and, and let's explain mm-hmm. all that but like it, just open your open your um open your mind to these ideas because if we know the forages uh they're good. This this stuff has opportunity to work, and that box that a lot of food plots are in, it's like, why do we continue to just try and make this like beautiful, picturesque, more aesthetic appeal mm-hmm. to to a food plot than a functional appeal? And I don't like that. <laughs> that yeah. That's just frustrating to me. It's like that manicured look. This is not a lawn. The purpose of these acres is to feed and attract deer and do it responsibly with natural resource right like we want to take care of the soil that doesn't mean that's our sole focus while we're planting stinking food we're planting them so deer will eat them mm-hmm. but like and, it doesn't and they're to beneficial be to turkeys and yeah it's a food plot like it's for the wildlife it's not for our eye so again this whole conversation that you're about to share what you guys are planning on doing it is not going to look like a a, a a a manicured food plot, and I'm excited to see that because it's gonna be way more functional, you know. Yeah. So like, just think outside the box. That's what we're trying to. That's why we're sharing these ideas. So hopefully, we're further encouraging you to do different things and and just be okay with maybe maybe if some weeds in the plot, like mm-hmm. if it, if they're not noxious or if deer afford you know, let them go. It's okay. Yeah. It'll be all right. I think. Um... The thing about the food plots talk for us is we've never been scared to try the new things. We've never been scared to fail in in trying those things. And for me, food plots really come down to how can we add ice cream areas or dessert areas to attract deer or other wildlife to them by adding diversity uh, within their diet and adding and managing more sunlight in these open areas and making the property more hunter friendly without sacrificing soil health or ecosystem health. And yeah. and so like when I say ecosystem health there, like let's not take the the every acre that was open and turn it into a non native mix of food plot blends, which is what we do when we if we take the a whole area, but we have wildlife openings that are native species. We dozed out areas and planted half of them in native species and native perennials while we are going to leave the other half in in uh, annual non-native food plot variety species, and uh, which is f- totally fine in my opinion. Um, and that's where, you know, when, it, when we're stepping into this food plot plant, especially this, this summer, is going, how can we, you know, let's try some new things because the last few years we've seen weather patterns shift to where September's been our driest month of the year. And that is very difficult on annual plants that were planted in the fall, like wheat, like turnips, <laughs> like cereal yeah. uh, cereal rye, or annual clovers. Like, that can cause major problems, and has 
for a lot oh, of sure. us is going, oh, I'm, I was too busy in August, and now I'm trying to put seed in the ground in, in September, and there's no rain coming, so I'm going to wait. No rain coming, I'm going to wait. Here we're coming up on the last week of September, and there's still no rain coming, I'm going to wait. Okay, there's a little bit of rain coming. Should I do it? It's getting so nope. late now. I'm going to do it, and that, that little bit of rain <laughs> caused it to germinate, and then it was dry for two more weeks, and it and it and a lot of it died. And you're like, geez, that was why a lot you, of money wasted. Bring up, yeah, why did you have to bring up last year again? <laughs> yeah. And but, like, the, that that seriously, though, is, is a challenge for a lot of people. And and like, I'm and and because of that, we've noticed that those perennial plots like clover and like the revival blend from Stratton, but it's phenomenal. it's 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 white perennial white clover, perennial red clover, some perennial chicory, as well as perennial alfalfa. And we've noticed that man, you get it goes dormant, but as soon as you get some heavy dews because when you get in september it may be dry but you're still getting some good dews in the morning um and then enough moisture to keep things green photosynthesizing not dry up and it's like heck that look although they're mowing it down they're they're still coming to it because guess what nothing else is germinating there's not moisture in the ground to germinate Mm -hmm. there's just enough moisture in the mornings to to coast that clover and that blend through the rest of the heat of the day but it works. That's and right. deer pound it. Pound yeah. It. And so it's like, okay, I would really like to see a base of perennial, like a revival base. But mm-hmm. man, you know, there are some weeks during the fall that those standing beans or standing grain is pretty phenomenal. Sure. And what's going, man, uh, how can we have our cake and eat it too? And I'm just fed up with it. I've watched it for five years now. I'm going, the perennial clovers are better. Then the annual blends of the fall because they they're they're perennials. They had a root system established and they they went dormant rather than putting all their eggs and going. I gotta make I gotta make seed. This is my yep. one shot. And so and if there's if there's any soil moisture, it's not in the top layer where you just planted that that fall annual. It's down six, eight, ten inches where there's root systems from these perennials. Yeah, that's so, where the moisture's at. And then it came across, I don't know, one of the weird groups I'm in, a concept that a guy was trying that was just crazy enough to pique my attention. <laughs> and it seems like we might as Chad and I's farm might as well be called the Crazy Kid Farm because we're not scared to try the things that the crazy farmers are doing. And we're going, you know, that actually makes sense. Why don't we try to replicate that? And this is a technique called pasture cropping. I'll read a definition for you. Is, is a farming technique where annual crops are sown into perennial grassland that is either entering dormancy or that has been prepared by grazing to take away the comp- the comp- or the competitive advantage of the perennial grasses in the pasture. So the, what they're doing in this agriculture world is they are grazing their cool season grasses down during peak time of those grasses, like like fescue or orchard grass or smooth brome, they're grazing it hard, and then they're drilling in a um, an annual crop like corn or soybeans into that, and then as that starts to grow, it's got enough of an advantage over the grazed perennial grass that that grows just over the top of the perennial grass, and as the perennial grass begins to recover from the grazing, it's now a weed suppressor. So it requires less herbicide to control those weeds, 
But at the same time, now the crop is starting to shade it out. So it uh, shade out the cool season grasses. So it begins to grow in a microclimate that seems like it's cooler than what it actually is if it wasn't protected from that crop. And they're fine once they run the combine over it and harvest that. Then they right, have like, this. Like cows aren't put back into this. This is this no. is now turned into let's try and get a yield off of some of these crops. And, they, well, and then once they but, harvest it, then the cows yeah. go back in. Yeah. And they're they're so yields pasture and an ag field. Yeah, essentially for people listening. So in one single season. And and what's great about it is is you have those those root systems of annuals as well as perennials. So there's that diversity that can attract different microbes. Um, based on the root systems and the species that were planted. And then at the same time, you are just continuing to add diversity. You've got more roots going into the ground, so you're breaking up hard pans. You're mining more nutrients. And you kind of have the ability, because of the cows, to be adding fertilizer with their manure to your annual crops. And some of the research, they weren't getting, like, maximum production like some of the other people that were going this these acres are only devoted to crops but their their return or their net profits was greater because they didn't have all of the fertilizer costs and the herbicide costs and all the other inputs to make it happen so it's a really cool concept now it's a crazy concept and i looked at that and i went how can we take that and put that in the food plot world because I want perennial clovers, the revival blend, alfalfa, chicory, um, and clovers, but I sure do like standing grain. So it made me go, what if we prepared that clover with either mowing or the deer did it for us because they pounded it in the in the spring and so or late summer if we go into drought. And so we're going to drill in a couple of species. Uh, soybeans, milo, okra, and maybe some additional species. Not sure yet. Depends on just how available they are, um, and if if it makes sense. Like like turnips, something else in my nutrients, and and you know one people always talk about how you usually only get five to eight years out of your perennial clovers because of weeds, and that's not just because. I don't know why it gets explained this way, but it's it's basically nature saying, yeah, nature saying no more legumes. We've fixated enough nitrogen. The soil is we need to we need to change this up. We need diversity, and weeds begin to grow. And um, I'm trying to pick what grows in the area rather than the landscape picking for me. So I would rather put in the Milo, okra, and soybeans into the clover and see if that helps combat the weeds now my weed control will be spot treatment instead of doing the large application of hey go spray the field we'll do more of site assessment going okay identify the areas probably locate them or mark them on on x and then when we go to spray we go to those specific areas and we treat those specific weeds um And I think, and even if we miss some weeds, who cares? Uh, you know, if it's as long as it's not cerise, lespedeza, or pigweed, or something else that's pretty uh-huh. aggressive and invasive, I'm not that worried about it. If it's if it's mare's tail, if it's ragweed, big whoop! I'm I'm actually excited to see the ragweed out there. So it's a lot like if you're sick and you go to the doctor, 
they're going to find the specific medicine to attack that virus or that parasite or whatever it is that you have going on. Rather than kind of like in the agriculture world, my cow's sick. Blanket Looks treatment. a little weird. Give it ivermectin. It sounds like an internal parasite. Maybe give it ivermectin. That ought to help. Kind of a meh, whatever. Yeah. And, Exper- uh, experimental drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what happens here. Yeah. We, we're going to go site specific. You know, <clears throat> if it's a grass, we'll spray it with a grass herbicide. If it's if it's a broadleaf that we know we can control it with a broadleaf, like 2,4-D, we're going to hit it with that. But we're not going to well, get crazy well, and say, Or you'll okay. spot treat it with gly. Yeah. Or I'll spot like, treat just, it with gly. Like, so, I, I think like the, that broad spectrum, like broadcast spraying of like whole field killing out um, for, for smaller percentages of, of ish, trouble plants or something like that. I don't, I, I, that's hard for me to grasp and get on board with, um, just from a, well, there's, there's still 60, 70% good in here. Why do we need to kill everything? Like, yeah. let, let's just target that stuff specifically. And I think that a lot of people think like, Hey, it's just easier to put all those booms out instead of just driving around and putts in and, um, spot spray here and there, but like, Hey, you save you save money on the herbicide side of things, but then no two, doubt. instead of covering the whole field, like if you've seen those trouble weeds, you already know where they're at, so you can go directly there in a in a UTV or an ATV and just spray it. Like it's it's probably less time to spray a, a tenth of the field or ten percent of the field rather than than a hundred percent with the whole broadcast spray. Yeah. So it's it's better for the plot probably better on your wallet and your time to, yep. to approach it like that. Be specific uh, with, with your, your targeting of troublesome type weeds. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hoping for. And another <clears throat> big thing too, is I'm, I'm curious about, you know, I, I think we would all agree that short little food plots are not the most uh, comforting <clears throat> thing to a, a white tail no. deer, especially during <laughs> hunting sure. season. So no one doubt. thing I'm curious about is if I can get the standing grain and milo and more structure uh-huh. in conjunction with edge feathering, in conjunction with some nice soft edges, see if it really, you know, it'll be anecdotal research, but see if there's more daylight activity because we have taller vegetation that the deer can feel comfortable in. Well, Does it feel in, like in they're going out in that alleyway waiting on, waiting on a yeah. predator? It's not even like... It, w- it wouldn't even have to be just like amount of, of daylight time in there. You could just like watch deer from a tree stand or on camera or whatever. Like you can just tell mm. body behavior, their characteristics, if they're stressed out or if they're calm and comfortable. So like when they're in a plot with structure in it like that, I fully anticipate that, that you're going to see um, just deer comfortable, just relaxed, tail kind of wagging, head up, ears flopping around, foraging, barely picking your head up, glancing around, instead of just like that high alert, like high intensity, I'm about to spring out of here at the snap of a twig kind of stuff that we see. Yeah. They get their structure there. If there's some, some, some cover over their body, um, hey, that's great. You'll probably see that. No doubt, and and who gets to see that in a in a perennial clover base? Not many people, but uh-huh. guess what? And I think you know that that whole pasture intercropping of the per, or planting annuals into a perennial base in the food plot system. Um, like worst case scenario, 
the annuals don't come up that good, well, that's probably not because um, they were planted just horribly wrong or the thing didn't work. It's probably because the growing condition during the spring, we got enough rain and then the summer was cool enough or, or we got enough rain, timely rains that the revival blend just did so well. That it, right. that it was so intense, intensely good that it may not allow the annuals to, to do so well. But guess what? If it got hot, if we had the opposite end of the spectrum, then the annuals would probably do really well compared to the clover. And regardless, your clover's coming back in the fall, and you're left with both best of both worlds with annuals and perennials in the exact same plot with the structure. So regardless of the growing season that you get handed, because no one knows what that is, no one knows what to really expect, when you get the rains, how much, the timing, you know, how hard it comes down, how much soil or how much water your soil actually holds. No one knows what that's going to be like in July. But regardless, you've got the plants in place to take care of either situation. You're, 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 it's a built-in insurance package for you mm-hmm. when it comes to food. Yeah. So, like, logically, scientifically about, like, these plants and their growing tendency, I'm like, I don't see how it could be a failure. Like, yeah. again, are, are they going to get two foot tall and kind of spaced out? I don't know, but the clover's probably going to be super thick. Or yeah. are they five foot tall and then the clover starts to come in in September? Regardless, it doesn't matter. It's going to be great. <laughs> That's right. So, and then <laughs> so, and then in areas that may get over browse, like, okay, deer really come in and on this end of the field. There's not many soybeans. The milo heads already look like they're getting stripped and it's towards the end end of August. You know what? So let's go in with a bush hog or just take the drill right in there and let's drill out this half acre right in front of the blind and plant a, uh, a brassica blend and try to have big leafy greens right here in front having the and then have everything else so we get that edge effect uh, in diversity of diet right here in front of the stand. And sure. that's going to be played out as season progress or as the fall progress or summer progresses to see which areas we're going to do that in. As needed basis, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and that's which, where, which again is the same approach for, for your, for your herbicide yeah. usage. Yeah. I'll drill in stuff if I need it, but yeah. if I don't, I'm not going to do it or if I'm yeah. just doing plots. But like, again, how, how many people go into a food plot, like they, they would come to that food plot and be like, all right, dude, you're going to have to explain to me. Like the conventional food plotter would come there and be like, you're going to have to explain to me what in the world happened because this looks like a hodgepodge. It looks That's like right. you just picked random stuff out of the garden bins and threw it out here. And you'd be like, well, That's exactly it's going to it's going to look like you had a clover plot that you gave up on, but you didn't spray it out. Yeah, but somehow Milo and okra crept in. Yeah. And it's being browsed. <laughs> yeah. And if but you like, don't know that cares? deer like okra leaves, that's something that it, yeah. I didn't realize how much they liked okra. And then we planted it two or three summers ago. Well, and then we ago, planted last year was like we went full fledged with okra and we included it in almost every plot and and the size of the root system <clears throat> and the stem and how much basically it mined out of the I mean goodness gracious was it was it awesome and then the seed well, pods we we ate a good amount of it and then it all got left and you're like look at that and you're like man that is like phenomenal turkey food 
and bird yeah, they're, food. They're picking and crack. Like I love the way the structure of the seed pod over winter, like through frost, it cracks. But like a turkey, and they're high enough on the plant, like a turkey just stretches next out, pop, 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 picks those seeds from within the pod. Yeah. But the other cool thing about um, okra is, is like drought and heat absolutely loves. Yeah, it, it dwells. Loves the heat. Yeah, it dwells, which in then the means, heat. and if you and if it's not getting over browse, it has really big leaves, so it helps mm-hmm. add shade to the ground, which would be the clovers, to help protect <laughs> them from going dormant. So it creates that microclimate effect of having more moisture from those dews, and it's not evaporating as quickly. So it basically teases or tricks the clover into believing that it's not the dog days of summer; it still what? has moisture. What's the um, like when we're talking about like clouds and upper atmosphere? Is it like the um, stratospheres, if you will? Is that the right yeah, term? I, I no, I, I have no idea. This is out of my lane. <laughs> I, okay, I think it might be like stratospheres, but like if you think about a food plot, and you you said the term now, I think twice, and we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but microclimates. That's right. Yeah, that's essentially what we're talking about with this. Is like the plant structures their 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 growing tendency is creating like almost like these different layers within the food plot like you have like up above up really high where it gets direct sun plants that really love the heat and they're going to be doing and performing really well but like the lower you go down to the ground we've got ground cover perennial bases that are then shaded and holding moisture throughout the day they're in a different stratosphere or layer with a different microclimate, different temperatures throughout the entire day, and they're happy too mm-hmm. because you got diversity and because you went outside the box and you thought, wow, let me just try something random here. Well, we, have, we don't even know if it's going to work, but I'm, we're talking as if it's going to work because I'm, I guess I'm not confident that I think it's going to work. Yeah, I do too. I think, it, I think it'll work. We'll just have to report back. We'll report mm-hmm. back and keep keep everyone updated, but uh, I'm I'm excited to see it. So no doubt, no doubt. Oh man, <laughs> um, and that's really you know we're gonna plant some heritage. We're we're planting a lot of ancestry um, that's gonna be grazed. So that's kind of a cool strategy we've got going. Where it, you know what we did this winter because you know we're still trying to get this farm whipped into better shape. We converted one of the fields that has been. We've had three Celespidesa, so we sprayed it a couple of years with the Roundup Ready soybean and and uh, are knocking the Cerisa back. And uh, then we planted um, four species of cool season perennial, or four species of cool season grass, three perennial, one annual. And we're going to control Cerisa this summer with the Brushmaster. Of what what little Cerisa's left, we're gonna hit it with some Brushmaster or Garlon and knock it out and not hurt the grass. And then uh, once we graze it, we're going to pasture crop it. And so once we graze that, we're gonna drill ancestry over it so we've got all that forage for wildlife, and then graze it and uh, and then hopefully our cool season grasses will come on even more and we'll then start adding diversity within those pastures so we have benefits for the wildlife as well as the cows as well as the soil um but what we did in preparation for that is we turned one of our fields our lease fields into a sacrifice pasture and we've wintered the cows there from i forget when we turned them in there but that's where we fed the hay 
and kind of rotated back and forth between there and one of the open hillsides and basically with the abundance of manure and the and the everything there we're like you know what let's drill that in ancestry and it should go gangbusters because of the uh all the, all the manure there <laughs> and uh and so that's something you know we're we're incorporating uh, one of the wildlife blend mixes into grazing cuz it's got that sedan grass mix or sedan grass mixed in it so um you know i'm hopeful by july the place is a jungle except for the the uh small red um m- mowers uh rolling oh, through and and getting fat and happy yeah that's so. awesome it'll be cool to see it'll be cool to see uh what this growing season kind of kind of gives you and um what the different because you got some bottom ground you're planting stuff into but you got ridge top stuff um just what the heck the the response is from not only those who are foraging on it, both wildlife and cows, but yeah. how it responds with the soil. Yeah. So that'll be neat. I just uh, I text mom said what what did was dad excited to see the quail, and she said he said it had been years since he had seen one in that area. He didn't mm. know what was going on <laughs> <laughs> because she That's was cool. like stop stop back up, and she thought that or he thought that she had spotted a mushroom. Right. Oh, that's funny. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, oh man. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with the grazing of, of these mixes and, and, uh, adding the mixes with the perennial base. It's like, this could be one big old flop, but my gut tells me it's kind of like, you know, the, uh, I'm not scared to fail, but there's things that we've kind of all put our brainstorm on, put our heads together. And it's like, how come we've never tried this before like it makes a yeah. lot of sense this makes a uh, you keep thinking on it you're like why haven't we done this this makes so much sense we need to try because, this it's got to work most, most times conventional wisdom just is is like that direct line that everyone just goes to it's just like oh that's what everyone else is doing if everyone else is doing it that's what i should do and it's like Whoa, 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 whoa. That's to me like the red flag. It's like, whoa, hold a second. Why are you doing it? Yeah. And, and 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 what are we actually trying to achieve? And why are we using these plants in this manner? Let's try something different. Let's look no at doubt. it. Let's look at the whole thing and really think about all the aspects of it. And we'll probably find out that the conventional way may not be the best way. It could work in some applications, but um, it just may not be the best for everybody or every situation so or, or it could just be that you're just missing out and you're not optimizing your open acres period mm-hmm. so just because it's grass for some portions of the year doesn't mean it only has to be grass the rest of the year yep yep there'll be something what else. do you got going on what are you planning yeah <clears throat> so last last fall as you stated earlier it was super dry um, so we tried to catch a rain in August, playing legacy and bounty hunter, um, and, and the main food plot on, on the, the property, um, about four, four and a half acres. And, um, so there's legacy growing in that finally kind of came on late, late into the fall, but has rebounded pretty nicely in the spring. But, um, prior to, um, it really coming on great in the spring, I had decided to take about an acre and a half of it, and I frost-seeded uh, the Revival blend into an acre and a half of that. So I had a 
a, a larger, consistent, perennial base forage that I was like, okay, that's going to take off. That's going to go. It's going to blow and go gangbusters. And I can just rely on it just for the exact same reasons that we talked about um, earlier with it just being a perennial base. It's got more shade on it um, throughout the later portions of the day. It gets morning sun. So I'm like, I can rely on that being no matter what kind of fall or late summer we get, if I get to be able to plant a fall blend, I know I've got an acre and a half of great clover that is going to be feeding and attracting and pulling a lot there. So I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to commit to that. So, so that's on an acre and a half of it. The rest of it, <clears throat> I've got a screening project, um, perennial uh, switchgrass screen just got planted through a portion of it. But I know that that's not going to be like super tall this year. So I was like, you know, I kind of want to try something not necessarily different, but I want a screen still built in because I really felt like last year and the watching deer, seeing their behavior, man, they're just, they're not super comfortable because that four acre field goes right. It basically just melts right into the backyard. And it's like, it's just not that like separation of everything. And so I can't walk to my backyard out bumping deer out of the plots. I'm like, I got to have something this year, annual basis, at least that is screening. So with the rest of the plot, them being legacy, I really wanted to see the full benefit of the legacy blend. Let its biomass really kind of increase because man, this, this again is one of those out of the box things that we just said, you know what? I really want, a lot of annual clovers in some of those blends, those fall blends. And you can spray, you, you can get legacy and see some amazing benefits. But oftentimes, a lot of people spray it too early and don't get to see um, Balanza and Bersim really do their thing from a blooming, mm-hmm. flowering, um, full production type thing because it's just sprayed out too early. They see the crimson clover. They're like, oh, wow, that's pretty. But like, there's more to come still. So I was like, you know what? I want it to run its full course, and then that's going to allow some weeds or thinner spots that some weeds came up into um, late in the fall last year. Once it finally got a little rain, some popped, and now they're kind of coming on. I want to get them up. I want to get them sprayed. Um, so what I, I guess, decided to do is go more higher diversity. We're not going monoculture, but we're going to wait and let that legacy run its course I'm going to spray and then I'm going to broadcast the heritage blend into that. Like I might spray, let's say on a Monday and seed on a uh, Tuesday, follow it right up afterwards and then drag after I've seeded, drag that vegetation over top and hopefully Wednesday we get a rain. So something like that is what I'm looking for to essentially do a technique that we've done years ago prior to land legacy Essentially, we just said, hey, it's spray, broadcast, roll. You can you can use a cultipacker, roll this vegetation over. You can use a drag and drag that legacy blend, lay it over top of your broadcast seed. It's a great way to, if you don't have access to a drill, you don't have a tractor, you can still plant larger seeded summer annual or spring annual things and get germination rates that is going to allow you to have a full field. Um, so that's essentially what my plan is, is let the legacy mature, spray it, 
broadcast. I'm going to drag it, lay that stuff over, and hopefully with some good rains, have a beautiful field of almost almost three acres worth of heritage, which is a lot of food. No doubt. Um, and my then plan for the fall, I guess, is leave a border. So I'll have the switchgrass screen that's coming on. But I'm going to still leave at least 10 to 20 yards of a border interior of that switchgrass um, of the heritage and allow it to continue to stand throughout the fall, be that screen, not compete with the switch, but just be interior of it. And then I'll probably play like a legacy or a bounty hunter interior of that additional heritage screen. But, um, you know, regardless, if we, if we have another really super dry fall, then I got an acre and a half of perennial. I'll have a lot of heritage that's not getting sprayed and planted into. That is that additional draw and attraction that, shoot man it's hard it's hard to compete with a heritage blend what we've seen deer congregate to in a late september early october situation Mm -hmm. it's powerful like there's a lot of food in there and you want to talk about the structure again your your deer were super comfortable when (laughs) your hunt last year too comfortable i too comfortable i mean there was it was one of those where it was like kicking rabbits out of a brush pile we didn't know how many of them were in there like when i shot the first doe it was like she was moving through almost like in tunnels where it was like yeah kind of put her head down and would go under and then pop out in a, in a hole and okay there we we shot her and then it was just like the bushes shaking as deer were running out and, uh, and and that's no exaggeration i mean you can watch the footage unfortunately you can't see all of that because of you were facing one way, and the other side of the field was just like deer running. But yeah, it's it was pretty remarkable. And had we not, I mean, if if that field would have been just sprayed and planted in a fall blend, it would have been very little attraction because of little sure. rain. Mm-hmm. But again, that we and we've seen it time and time again that mm. late September through mid October in our climate. Um, I don't think there's, from a biomass and a supplemented forage standpoint, there's nothing that is honestly competing or would, would hold a candle to heritage that I know of. Corn's dried out. A soybean has already lost its leaves. It's maturing out. Clover doesn't have that biomass. And this has made its way all the way through the dry, the, the dryness of summer. And now it's kicking back in. It's, it's almost like it just finds another gear. And yeah. it's like, I'm still going, guys. <laughs> and uh, the, the deer absolutely uh, relate to it and, and will utilize it. Um, and I, I want to say, didn't you guys, like, when you hunted and, ha- and, and had that hunt, it's like, you guys had just gotten in there. Like, this was still pretty early on, on a warm day, too. Yeah. Like, it was about, late again, September. Moisture. Yeah. Late September, <clears throat> very warm day, close to the road, <laughs> and we saw, I don't know, like, you know, we saw close to 10 deer on this little half-acre food plot. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's that's the other thing, I think, that we kind of take for granted um, when we have dry falls is that 
moisture content that they're getting out of vegetation. And I think that's why we see such a shift in going to heritage plots. Most of the native forages, they've already matured out. They bloomed. They're working on their seeds. Um, so they're drying out. Yeah. But this stuff, again, it is so green. The lab lab, um, everything in there is rocking and rolling. Sun hemp at that time, like they're hitting it hard. And I think they're coming there too from that moisture level water retention in those leaves. But regardless of why they're doing it, they're doing it. Yep. So I'm excited because I'm going to have a screen and uh, I'm going to have perennials to count on and, and some annual varieties um, both summer and fall going into the hunting season for this year. So that's my, that's my plan. I'm sticking to it. Yep. I, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. We're going to be putting the seed in the ground at the woodlands here soon. I know, like you said, you're going to be a little bit later, but it is getting to be the time of year where we start shifting out of turkey mines and thinking turkeys and, and going into uh, back into deer. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I want to encourage people to think outside the box like we talked about, but I want them to share their harebrained ideas. I want, I want to see some, some unique um, planting uh techniques if you're if you're limited equipment what are you guys doing to try and put out good good forages um and and what are your guys techniques sharing with us on social media um we'd love to to see what you guys are doing out there and how you're trying to think outside the box along the way this uh this food plot season that's right all right guys we appreciate you and we'll catch you next week see you guys yeah